Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts. And welcome to Second Officer Slog, episode 27. I'm your host, M. With me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. Hi. Star Trek time. What it's have you been Star doing that's Star Trek related in the past month? Well, I read a Star Trek book and watched two episodes of the television show Star Trek. I'm so ready for you to watch Voyager. Me too. It's literally a month till I'm fucking done with all of the shit, so I'll actually be able to spend my time doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I continue to work on DS9. We are like midway through season uh, five. They have gotten the new uniforms now. They just show up one day. They're good. They're good uniforms. They are not good uniforms. Much better than the old DS9 uniforms. No, that is absolutely not true. (laughs) Cannot cannot believe you. You stood with me once on this, and now I'm Yeah, I've changed my mind. I, I actually prefer the early DS9 uniforms. Well, how does it feel to be wrong? I'm not wrong. Yes, you are. You are on this no, one. I am correct. You are wrong. <laughs> okay, well, this is how all of our arguments go. It's a miracle we have so many podcasts. <laughs> we don't actually argue about that many things. <laughs> no. uh, as you can tell, energy in the room today. Uh, I just got off a nine-hour shift at work. I am feeling it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's just get into it, because it's going to be long. We have yes. two episodes this month. We are watching uh, Errand of Mercy. Yes. Uh, and the Enterprise incident, and we are reading Avenger by William Shatner. Yes. Um, next month, we'll go ahead and announce these right now. We are watching Yesteryear, which is the second episode of the animated series, and we are watching Data's Day, which is episode 11 of season four of TNG. Oh, we sure are. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're basically done, like, focusing on TOS coverage for now. For, for a little, I mean, we'll probably pick a few episodes, but we're going to hop around a little more going forward. Uh, we also will be reading Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward, the second uh, Discovery book. So please look forward to that. All you got to know is what Discovery is. You, you might not even need to know that. I, well, you know what? Listening to us, you're going to need to know a little bit about Discovery because we're probably going to talk about it in the context of things revealed in episode one of Disco- or season one of Discovery. So, Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we sure are. Yeah, but also we'll talk about our favorite planet, Tarsus 4. Anyway... That's it for what we're doing next. uh, After the musical break, we'll get into our episodes. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Let's get going. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. (laughs) 
our first episode this month is Errand of Mercy, which is the original series, Season 1, Episode 27. This aired 23rd of March, 1967. It is written by Gene Alcoon. It is directed by John Newland. It takes place in the year 2267. Jackson, what happens in this episode? Errand of Mercy begins with the Enterprise getting a message that negotiations between Starfleet and the Klingon Empire have broken down and war is on the verge of collapse. So the Enterprise is ordered to Organia, which is a peaceful Class M planet uh, in like the territory between the uh, uh, the Federation and the Klingon Empire in order to protect them from being taken over by the Klingons. They land uh, and they're like, hey, this is this weird medieval set that all these weird people are on. You've got to go, you know, you, you, we're here to protect you. We're Starfleet. And just starts being a shit. And it's like, you don't know anything. We're going to protect you from the Klingons. And obviously the um, the Organians are like, you don't understand anything, Captain Kirk. We do not believe that violence is the way. That's that's literally how the guy speaks. Uh, it's great. Um, and then uh, they don't agree to this. But by this time, the Klingons have shown up and the Enterprise has to leave to get reinforcements, uh, leaving the uh, leaving Kirk and Spock trapped on Organia as the Klingons come and take over the planet, essentially. Uh, they are kind of, um, kind of, question mark, in hiding as Organians for a while, but reveal themselves basically immediately uh, as they aren't, like, they aren't weirdly smiling, they clearly aren't of the planet, um... And then immediately, like, blow up a uh, <laughs> reserve of supplies that the Klingons have. Uh, this gets them discovered, and this is a great scene where Kirk and the Klingon uh, commander, which has a name. What is the Klingon commander called? Um, Core. Core, right. I thought it was Core. I wanted to make sure. Uh, so Kirk and Core essentially have this discussion uh, as two leaders of armies looking essentially to occupy this territory and... It comes in this conversation. All the all the criticisms that we like. We'll talk about this as more, but they basically go. These we aren't so different, you and I. These are the things we want. You can't like hide behind your federation's principles, uh, and that's and then uh, they're like, we we have to we have to fight the Klingons off Organia because they start. Um, they start. What do they do? They like kill two hundred uh, Organians every time, uh, every like couple hours in order to like bring. Kirk and Spock in. If they don't show, if they're not like recaptured, they will be brought in. They will ki- continue to kill two hundred Organians every hour. Uh, and Kirk and Spock are like, we have to go. We have to do this ourselves. We have to take out the Klingons so we can save these people. And they sneak into the base and they make it in. But right when they're about to kill Kor, uh, the Organians intervene and they all drop. Everyone drops their weapons because the Organians are actually non-corporeal beings who don't need any of this and just want all the the Klingons and the Federations to stop fighting because to them it's just two squabbling children murdering each other for no reason uh, and make it so that no one anywhere in the galaxy uh, can touch a weapon like on these two sides unless this uh, war is uh, like walked back from and that is essentially how the episode ends Uh, the Klingons and the Federation kind of retreat back into their own territories the war does not go ahead all because of the organians uh forcing them uh to be unable to pull the trigger uh and it is revealed that like oh maybe we'll get to this point of um evolution one day where we can see the truth of the universe it's, it's that trope again but it's a it's a very good version of that trope but that's, that's basically what happens in the episode it's a quick summary um it's a good we liked it a lot so a couple notes uh 
This is the first appearance of the Klingons. Uh, yes. John Kolakos, who plays Kor, like brought the idea of like the Klingons, how they would look to the makeup director. Wait, this um, is this is the first one. Yes, that's why I picked she- it. Holy shit! Yes, <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. Um, huh. Uh. The we'll talk a little bit more about the design of the Klingons in a second. Um, yeah, we will. The sash he has that he wears is literally the exact same prop that Warp, Warp uses in season one of TNG. Oh, <laughs> because okay. uh, they just reuse things where they could. Uh, it's in the Smithsonian, or it was at some point. It is just a burlap piece of fabric painted gold because this is a show <laughs> with a no budget. No. Um. Hilariously, the uh. The Klingon ships we see in the remastered version, because the Federer, like the Enterprise stares down a bunch of Klingon ships, they were not in the original episode. They just talk about Klingon ships being there because they didn't have the budget for any of that. The first time you actually see this design of Klingon ship is in the next episode we talk about in season three, where they talk about it as a Romulan ship that is like a Klingon design, <laughs> even though you've never seen the Klingon ships being used by the Klingons before that. Yeah, I think it's the inside sets that was why that happened. Something like that. I know. I looked through the notes for that one, and it's like, oh, we needed to reuse these sets. Yes. Um, well, no. It's that they they only had like so many ship shots, and they were like, we could just reuse this and say that the Klingon, oh, was it the ship shots? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes more sense. I was I'm yeah. right. Okay. Uh, but yes, this I was not surprised. Eh, I was not expecting this episode to be as good as it ended up being. It was incredibly good. So before we talk about the episode, can we talk about the Klingons right. a little bit? <laughs> In the so, script, the Klingons were described simply as, quote, Oriental, hard-faced. Yes. Thinking uh, emoji. Thinking and then, emoji. Okay. Uh, then uh, John Kolakos was cast, and he was like, well, what if we give them, like, dark makeup and give them, like, mustaches? Basically, he wanted the Klingons to look like Genghis Khan. So you have what is essentially, like like a logged a Mongolian horde out of legend as your villain, but also they're supposed to be like the stand in for the Soviets and it's a mess. Star Trek's uh, specifically the, t- the original series, like relationship with like Orientalism, as we'll talk about a little bit in next episode. Oh, also, we sure will. It's really fucked up. <laughs> it's, it's extremely fucked up, especially as like, yeah, because like textually, this is the most cold war metaphor that you can get right like it is this this is no less of an obvious cowboy metaphor uh than star trek 6 in, in many ways yeah, this is but, this is like war is coming we need these like bumpkins in another country to join our side before they join the other side mm-hmm. and it's and we, like it's we, just we will, that we, will, we will we will like berate them to join us talking about how they should love freedom because the other side is evil yep uh and so you have an episode where you have like a lot of what would define uh, like DS9 and Discovery in a lot of ways, and like modern Star Trek of the critiques of the Federation just being there from the start alongside this like design of the Klingons, and both of those exist at once. It's really strange. Yeah, coming from 90s Trek, I always think of the Klingons as like nebulous and problematic, like black stand ins. Yes. And it's really weird seeing them in this context where, like, yeah, they're wearing brown face, but it's like meant to be like an Asian brown face. And it's weird. It's such a different thing. And it's very uncomfortable and casts all of the Klingon decisions in a bad light, really. Really does. <laughs> yep. Maybe Star Trek's just problematic sometimes. I mean, it definitely is. <laughs> yes, God. It, it, it makes like the work that they do in TNG with the Klingons and the stuff that like Ronald B. Moore and Michael Dorn and like like do through Worf in order to make the Klingons a like interesting and uh, coherent culture in the Star Trek seem that much more impressive. Mm-hmm. Just because of 
Jesus, this was the starting point, huh? Yep. But, like, their actual character, like, Kor's actual character and the discussions between Kirk are, like, really good in the isolation of television, right? Like, yeah, so, they are good scenes. Yeah, you get these two people coming to this place where, yeah, it's basically, like, United States interventionism against the Soviet Union, right? Like, we come down, we have to convince them to join us because otherwise they're going to get scooped up by these evil space commies, right? Yes. And that's the speech he gives these people. Like, don't worry about us. We're going to be fine. He's like, don't you understand? You're just like placid peaceniks. Like, we have to come and protect you with our guns and spaceships. We're going to bring you bring you democracy and freedom. And it's like the most bald American analog in the world. Um, but it ca- it so clearly casts Kirk as the bad guy in this. Like, what the Federation wants is a is a mean, small, evil thing. Like, it's a victory for them, but it doesn't actually mean anything, and it's not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yet, he continues to do it to the point, like, past the point of lunacy, to where he puts his own ship in danger to, like, try to convince these people. Um, yep. And and the show is very clear that him and the Klingons, like, they show up and they have their decrees, and, like, it doesn't seem like life in the Klingons is going to be great, but the things that they want, their aims are not any different. Like, they serve different masters, like, philosophically, but they are all people going out and expanding their empire at the expense of the other. And if they come to it, they are both ready to throw it out and fight. And it is everything that Star Trek becomes a critique of in Discovery in DS9 right here. Like, <laughs> it is amazing to me that it took this long to wrap back around into the themes of this show, this episode specifically? Well, like, specifically, like, the thing that shocked me about this wasn't necessarily that, like, those themes were there. It was the way in, like, the actual moments that really hit me were when Kirk was just going, I don't give a shit about your dumb planet, you idiots. Yeah, by the end of it, he's literally like, well, I'm here, and I'm going to try to save you, even though Lord knows that I want to, because you all suck. Like, he's yeah. literally just saying that he he hates being on this planet, he hates these people, but he's going to go and protect them because that's his job. And, and like, it's just he, the worst. He's lording it in their face, essentially, like, I'm better than you, you don't deserve me, but I'm going to help you anyway, because that's what we do. And, like, Picard would make similar speeches, but obviously from the perspective of, we are not better than you, and we must respect cultures, and that's why we will protect you. And, like, those ultimately aren't that different, and, like... You expect, um, just from, you know, DS9 and stuff, that that was, like, an inversion of that that came later on. But seeing it just here at the start being, like, nakedly what it is, is really interesting. Like, revisiting TOS and seeing this here is, like, fascinating to me. Yes. Um, And I'm I'm very happy we watched this episode. Because also, like, the other thing uh, I expected was, like, I didn't realize it was playing that um, as bad for the whole time. Because... This is another kind of episode that just happens a lot in Star Trek and a lot of science fiction, right? Where you have the people come to the planet who won't do violence and then they have to teach them that, you know, violence is the answer uh, and you have to, you can't just sit on the fence all the time. Like, that is a, that is usually where this would go, but the fact that it, like, ends up taking another direction was really cool because uh, I did not expect that. <laughs> uh, from, but also, but this. also the Organians, like, like the guy goes, I am now standing on the human homeworld. I am now standing on the Klingon homeworld. I am making all weapons disabled. They're too hot to touch. Like the idea that they could just do that, but then clearly like in a week, he's like, nah, I guess they can hold the phases again. Uh, is very strange. Like the amount that Star Trek has to reset because it's one of those type of shows, uh, it makes like the impact of what he does, like a thing that never is examined in the way it should be. Cause what he does is basically like change the face of the universe in a, like a second. And then they have to roll it back next week. Cause there's a new episode. Yeah. Like it's a good premise for and standalone story, right? Two empires come yeah. on the brink of war and then someone who can see how small and petty they are steps in, uh, does not work so well when you have this story stretching on like centuries forwards and backwards. 
Yeah. Uh, though I do like the part where he says that one day you and the Klingons will become fast friends. Uh, because they do. And they, they both make stink faces. <laughs> they totally do. You know. uh, little do they know. Little do they know. That very little sash. They knew, little did they know that Kor was going to hang out with Jedzia Dax and go fight some fucking Klingons. Yeah. He's in like three episodes of DS9, right? Like yeah, he's, 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 he's the one who survives the longest because he's the original Klingon. Yep. Him and Worf find the sword of Kaelas and decide to throw it in deep space. <gasps> Shit, that's him? Yes. <laughs> God damn. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Man, Star Trek, huh? And he berates Worf for being like a really bad Klingon because Worf is the worst Klingon. <laughs> Oh, Star Trek's good. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite episode of TOS that we've watched. You yes. still uh, will stump for Bounds of Terror, Bounds which Terror's is in my top yes. three for sure. But uh, I was just so taken aback by how much this leans into things I think like modern Star Trek is about in a way that TOS doesn't actually do that often. <laughs> uh, too often, Kirk gets the speech and the speech is the right thing to say. And in this, he comes in and in Act 1 is delivering the speech and just gets his ass handed to him by the universe. Yep. And the speech is the wrong thing and Kirk is bad. And that like a self-awareness of the Federation is not what I think of TOS as being about. And it's really amazing to me that it's here already. It's here already and it's also like... Um, it's surprising, but it's one of the forms that TOS has used a lot. We've not watched every TOS episode, but we have already seen about four uh, that end with a higher being stepping in and saying, yes. "This was all some kind of test for you," you know, uh, which is yes. just a Star Trek trope forever. This is this is this is maybe the most sympathetic one because they're just on this planet like their corporeal form is just how they interface when people show up onto their planet. So like they were just kind of living their lives, and then the Enterprise and the Klingons landed on them. Well, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that, yeah. like, it is interesting that it manages to get so many things that I associate with latter-day Star Trek uh, in there, when it, and also at the same time be a very prototypical Star Trek plot uh, yep. of this series. Um, yeah. It toes both of those very well, and it's definitely the best one of these I've seen in TOS. Mm. Yeah, I like this episode quite a bit. Uh, so, yeah, um, let's move on to our second episode. Yes. Uh, the Enterprise introduce this one? Incident. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Uh, the Enterprise Incident is episode four of season three of the original series. It first aired 21st of September 1968. It was written by DC Fontana and directed by John Meredith Lucas. It is set in 2268. What happens in the Enterprise Incident? Doctor's medical log is what happens in the Enterprise <laughs> yeah! incident. McCoy opens the episode saying Captain Kirk has behaved incredibly irrationally as of late, and then Kirk orders Sulu to take the Enterprise into the Romulan neutral zone. Everyone is very upset. They are instantly waylaid by the Romulans, who are using Klingon-style vessels, which has messed up the lore ever since this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't know uh, there was going to be some prequel that had to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, um... Anyway, he tells her to send, like, what's going on to Starfleet Command is, like, their last will, basically, because they might not get out of this. And then they talk to the Romulans, and the Romulans say, you have one hour to surrender or we're going to blow up the ship. Then they see Spock on the Enterprise, and the sub-commander goes, hmm, just a second, actually. Maybe we could talk this through. Maybe you and your first officer would like to beam aboard our ship, and we could have a conversation. Kirk is like, yeah, let's do that. They beam aboard the Romulan vessel, and they meet the Romulan commander. She's a lady. 
Uh, Kirk immediately is like, oh, ladies, I know what to do about this, and starts turning on the charm. And then she's like, no, 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 Kirk, you're just a silly boy. Get the hell out of my office. And then puts the move on Spock, who seems receptive, interested in it at least. And they have a big conversation. At the same time, Kirk is wandering around, and it turns out that what they are looking for is the new Romulan cloaking device. Supposedly, this is the first cloaking device, is what the script says, but the Romulans have had a cloaking device. They have a cloaking device in Balance of Terror. Sometimes Star Trek does not know what it's doing. Um, <laughs> so it's a, let's let's call it a better cloaking device for the sake of canon. And they're here to steal it. Um, the there is like Kirk is thrown into prison for messing around with stuff. Uh, Spock is being enticed by the Romulan commander, and then he goes in. Uh, like Kirk is throwing a fit, so they go in to talk to him. And Kirk rushes Spock, calling him a traitor. And then Spock does like a Vulcan. It's basically like a mind meld directly on the front of a face. It's very silly. And then Kirk falls over and he's declared dead by McCoy and beamed aboard the Enterprise. It's so called you know the Vulcan means. death crip. Yes. You know what that means? That he's definitely not dead. And this whole thing has just been a huge ruse to get Spock and Kirk onto the Vulcan ship or onto the Romulan ship where uh, Spock could get in with the Romulan commander. Kirk decides to go on board to get the, ro- the cloaking device now that they know it's there and they know roughly where it is on the ship by getting surgically altered to appear as a Romulan. This is a bit of a mess. Anyway, he gets aboard the <laughs> ship. He gets in there. He steals the cloaking device. He gets out. Uh, the Romulan commander is very upset with Spock. Uh, is like, oh, you betrayed me. You thought you made me think that you were in love with me. They, basically, the thing at the end of Discovery happens where she grabs on as he's beaming out and they get beamed aboard the Enterprise. Um, and she's aboard with Spock and now they just have her on the ship as a prisoner and, uh, with the cloaking device. And then her and Spock have this like farewell where she's like, I can't believe you betrayed me. I thought you were actually interested. And Spock says, just because I did my job doesn't mean that I wasn't actually interested. And that's basically it in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird episode. So we don't want, we don't want to get to the books. I'm not going to spend too long on this, but our main points are one, uh, hmm, thinking emoji, look at, hmm, Kirk, hmm, Romulan, hmm. So, so Kirk as a Romulan is mm. indistinguishable from James Bond as a Japanese man and he only lived twice. <laughs> it's it's absurd how much it is just that makeup again. Yep. Yeah, it um, sure is. It's also like it instantly becomes clear how much work was done, like casting people who would look good in the Vulcan and Romulan makeup. Yes, because <laughs> you need people that you can like green up, but they don't look like death. And instead, Kirk is like Kirk doesn't have any like eyeshadow or like the like greener makeup on him, so he just looks like a weird elf man in a lot of instances. With the <laughs> he <ears>. sure does. <laughs> oh, he sure does. Uh, yes. No, we'll we'll put a link to it, but just Google Enterprise Inter- Enterprise Incident. Romulan you'll just it'll come up it'll be one of the first mm. pictures uh because it's uh it's a bad look and then google yeah. you only live twice <laughs> yeah god which is a, which is a good movie actually but uh the bond stuff in that is embarrassing yes um so most of this episode is about the Romulan commander trying to put the moves on spock like telling him her real name which is like mysterious and exotic and not befitting a soldier and then she's like i can also be a woman and she puts on like a go-go dress or something because it's <laughs> like in the 60s so like the, the like aims of this episode are interesting right so you have um essentially the federation have been ordered on a spy mission to out romulan the romulans and steal yes. their shit as they try to negotiate with them and take them at face value uh, yes fine aims way it goes about that is 
of a like, oh, this woman is horny and cannot tell when she's being like instantly played, even though she's a Romulan commander who should be extremely good at telling when she's being played. Well, so there's two things here. There's this idea that Vulcans can't lie, which I guess is just a like pervasive idea in Star Trek, though everyone who's ever interfaced with a Vulcan knows that they're full of shit all the time will lie at the drop of a hat if they think it's logical. Like, Vulcans are dangerous like this. Yep. Um, but also, like, it's wrapped in this weird sense that the Romulans have, or this Romulan commander specifically, that, like, oh, Vulcans are like Romulans, but are like this weird exotic version that are all about logic, but deep down they must have deep passions. And the the problem is that's true, but also it's a really weird thing to project onto Spock that oh if you just get underneath his uh, uh, underneath his logic he would be a passionate uh, like person to have as a partner beyond any Romulan he'd be better than them like there's yep. a lot of weird racial politics at play and also just like the most sexist thing in the way they treat this lady yeah like the fact that not only is that a weird thing to put on just on any episode uh of like thematically it's also a really bad thing to do when this is like i'm fairly sure that this is the first female commander in terms of just ships that they've been on yes in the series i think that was a note on memory alpha in fact there is a thing at the there's an episode at the very end of the original series that operates on the premise that women could not be starfleet commanders Oh great! You know that's yes, really it is good. considered one of every. It's considered one of the worst episodes of TOS. We have not seen it, obviously. Well, I mean, it can get fucked, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> non-canon, uh, actually, canonically non-canon at this point. So. Yeah. No, it it is. It is. Yep. Uh, the second Starfleet captain was a woman. Yeah. It's true. That is true. I mean, is. We don't have time for this tangent. Um, <laughs> Are you going to ask if Enterprise captains counted? Yes, they do. Because when Saru asks, show me the best Starfleet captains, Jonathan Archer's on that list. Well, yeah. But does that mean that, like, the the federal... Hmm. I cannot have the conversation about is Starfleet human or is it the Federation when, like, Vulcan has its own sh- set of ships that aren't Federation ships. Yeah, Starfleet is inherently like their Starfleet was wrapped into the Federation, so the pre-star pre-Federation Starfleet counts. The like Vulcan Expeditionary Force does not count because it's explicitly not Starfleet. So that just means that the the human um like Starfleet became the Federation thing, which explains why it's got human roots and why it's mostly human when everyone else has their own fleet. Well, I, I assume I assume they asked, does anyone else want to front this fleet? And the Vulcans, Andorians, <laughs> and Tellarites said, "Fuck off, no." <laughs> <laughs> okay this makes sense now you think because this has always been a thing that's confused me but now this is i've found the angle into making this work <laughs> yes anyway uh but yes um it's a weird episode uh it's it's fun like it's nonsense yeah, it's it's like super manic uh the lady who plays the romulan commander i need to find her name uh do you have it off the top of your head uh the commander's name or the cast yes. no, no no the the, the actor who actress who plays her uh that is joanne linville she is great. Like, she has very little to do here, but what she does is very fun. I like her a lot. Yeah. Um, Romulan uh, she, is, she is hot for Spock in a way I 100% understand. I am also hot for Spock. So, <laughs> Who among us? Uh, there's an absolutely ridiculous scene here because everyone assumes, like, basically they perpetuate the lie that Kirk is dead. And then they order Scotty in because they need someone to tell because he's got to do, he's got to help with something. I don't even remember what. And he walks in and sees Kirk in the Romulan garb and he's, like, super ecstatic and, like, don't tell anyone. He's like, I'm just glad the captain's here even if he is ugly. Scotty. Bigotry has no place on the bridge of the Enterprise. Kirk said that in, like, Balance of Terror. And here yeah. you are. And then, like, every five minutes, people are like, man, Spock, you suck so much. You, your ears, fuck you. Like, yes. 
So, Patrick's Spock, weird. the end of this episode has Spock saying that seeing humans wearing Vulcan or Romulan ears makes him physically ill. So, <laughs> that's also a thing. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I guess I don't, I guess I don't blame him. It's, it's, I mean, we weren't a fad. You know, uh, this episode is ridiculous. I, I was expecting like, oh, the other rock. Cause I think there's, I think these are like the only two big Romulan episodes. There these might the be only one or two, more. These are the only two in yeah. TOS. Yes. I assumed it would be like, oh, pound bounce of terror part two, like another tense, really good episode. It is not that. No, you get there's how a, it could have Actually, there is another, there is another Romulan episode, I think. Okay. Is there? Okay. I thought this was yeah. the only one. Yeah. I'm not sure for sure. Uh, I'm looking at the memory alpha page and the original story outline was called ears. Great. So there you go. You know, uh, right. yeah, this episode's ridiculous. The Romulan, uh, Romulan helmets still have those helmets from Amok Time, which are from Balance of Terror. They just look like footballers. The Romulan outfits are bad. <laughs> yep. They keep those helmets forever. Yeah. They don't have them in, uh, in TNG. Don't they? I thought they do. No. I don't think so. I thought you like seen some with them, but I well, I maybe. could be misremembering. I don't know because I've only I like come off Enterprise and they're wearing them there. Oh, are they? God, okay, great, good. I'm glad they kept those. <laughs> of course they did. Enterprise is the fuckiest Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that. We 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 really need to talk about this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Next month we are covering Yesteryear, which is the second episode of the animated series, as I said, and Data's Day, TNG season four, episode eleven. That's it. Music. And then we're going to get into the third of the Shatnerverse books, Avenger. This month's book, we have read Avenger by William Shatner, bracket, small voice, with Judith and Garfield, Reeve Stevens. Still not credited. Did they start getting credited next time, next book, I think? It's soon. Um, I don't know. But uh, it is the third in the initial Shatnerverse trilogy. Uh, we have read Ashes of Eden and the Return in the previous months. You should listen to those if you uh, don't know what's going on in this book. Um... I guess we'll quickly summarize what happened to them. Uh, in Ashes of Eden, all that happened was that uh, Shatner hung out with a half Romulan. Uh, specifically, half- Captain Kirk hung out. Do not Shit. say Shatner hung Shit. out. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. I understand how that's the worst thing you could ever say. <laughs> Captain Kirk hung out with a half Romulan, half Klingon, uh, magically young. Um, woman named Talani and fucked himself young. (laughs) (laughs) Like, thematically young, not physically young. He then went off and died in generations. He then went off and died. Uh, 
after generations, he was brought back by the Borg and Romulans working together in a plot to take over the Federation, but is was able to defeat both of them by um, teaming up with Captain Picard, going on a mission, and blowing up the Romulan... Uh, not the Romulan homeworld, the Borg homeworld. Two very, very different homeworlds there. Yeah, the uh, Romulan homeworld doesn't get blown up for like 20 years yet. Fuck, that does happen. <laughs> yeah, it totally does happen. <laughs> That's... <laughs> God damn it. I hate Star Trek. <laughs> oh, nine. <laughs> yes. And then Kirk supposedly died in the explosion of the Borg homeworld. Yes. No, that, he... That's as, how that book ends. No. And then the book ends with him seeing a vision as he's like falling to his death, but like falling, quote unquote, in his mind, in his dream uh, of Sarek saying, and you must avenge me. And I'm like, all right, sure. Where do we begin? Where, where could we possibly begin from there? Uh, I mean, I don't begin... Oh, right. <laughs> we begin back, way back when... Oh, there's a big, loud car. Let me let it pass. We begin, as we must begin, on Tarsus 4, on with 13-year-old James Kirk running away from the forces of Kodos the Executioner, hell-bent on murdering the child for having witnessed the murder of all of the, like half the colonists. Yes. Uh he uh, trips down like a snowbank and then runs smack dab into Sarek of Vulcan. Yes. And there's a lot of young 13-year-old Jim Kirk being hella racist towards Vulcans. Yeah, didn't he call them Vulcanians? Yes, he's like, oh, a Vulcanian. I've heard they, they're psychic and can fly and all these other things. Uh, I guess they are psychic, to be fair. <laughs> they are psychic. That is what they, they do do that. They mind them yes. with everyone they meet. Yeah. Uh, and then Kodos comes up and is like, oh, I must kill the boy. He knows what's going on. And Sarek's like, no, you can't kill the boy. He's like my son. Uh, he reminds me so much of him. And then Sarek's like, I will mind meld with him and he will forget all of this. And that's what happens. He mind melds with young Kirk and Kirk forgets everything that happened on Tarsus 4 until later. <laughs> yes. Skip ahead. It is probably like, what? It's 1997. This is probably like a year after first contact then canonically, uh... right? Yeah, this is happening um, late DS9, season 5 DS9, I believe. Yes, um, right. The memory alpha, we're on the Wikipedia the, page. Cause they, are worried, they are worried as much about the Klingons as they are the Dominion. So that's where we're at in DS9 um, times. Because they talk about, oh, that Klingon thing is starting to wrap up. This is 2373. So it is like okay. right before the start of the Dominion War, kicking off okay. big time. The first page, I went to 2373, and the first bullet point in the timeline was something big about Chakotay. So, more important <laughs> than Dominion War. I don't think that's true. Oh, God. God, fucking Voyager. Anyway, <laughs> the Federation, despite what you might have heard on Deep Space Nine, is actually in the grips of a terrible ecological panic as there is a plague ravaging the Federation. It is called the Virogen, and it is, like, destroying entire planets, uh, is going through food supplies. It it hurts uh, animal life. It makes them sick, but it actually destroys plant life just totally. Like, it wipes out the entire vegetation of planets, rendering entire sectors without food. The Federation is running uh, quarantines of affected systems, trying to make sure the Virogen doesn't make it to planets. It's going really badly, though. We open on the Enterprise-E in a blockade of the Alta Vista system, uh, like parked outside of a station where a ship is trying to escape because a Starfleet ship has been taken over by a bunch of people who have mutinied, which is a thing that doesn't happen in Starfleet uh, much anymore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I had that in heavy parentheses. <laughs> 
you know, Starfleet's first mutineer yes. Spock. But like all the uh, the Gamera station is listed as like it's a research facility for sixty scientists and it's used as a refugee camp for fourteen hundred people. It's a bad time right now in the Federation. Like actual yes. anarchy is starting to happen. Like communication lines are breaking down. Uh, but yes, this book opens like like completely mid this. It's been yes. going bad off screen for a while. Yep. Um. Picard is chasing down the ship that's trying to run the blockade. It is, on board is a Vulcan named Strawn and his wife, who, who is human and pregnant. And he's like, I'm a communications officer. I've seen the projections uh, coming in from Starfleet. I know what's going to happen. And Picard's like, oh, no, he knows that we're totally fucked. And then he blows himself up rather than be taken back to the station to starve to death. Um, though he is, like, really confused about this because he's like, Vulcans would never accept suicide as a logical course of action. I feel like he's not ever met a Vulcan then because Vulcans do all sorts of shit when they decide it's worth their logic to do so. Yep. Um, uh, but, but the thing that does happen here is Troy is like, this is, I, th- there's a lot, I forget the actual thing, but basically in his, um, in his big speech before he dies, he like, he lies and he's like, I can't tell if I'm more surprised that a Vulcan killed himself or a Vulcan lied. Yeah. Uh, and so nothing is adding up. Yeah. Well, yeah, so Picard goes to investigate and discovers that, in actuality, they probably beamed out at the same point the ship exploded, though they're not sure the mechanics of that yet. Uh, they go back to Gamera Station and talk to the station minister to be like, hey, what's with this Vulcan? Because we looked at your records, and they, they don't even show that this guy was a Starfleet person, but he knows enough to have taken the ship and talked to us about this stuff, so... Uh, he needs to know something. Someone needs to give him information. And he's talking to her and they get in this long conversation and Picard comes to the conclusion that what this means is that the this guy is probably a terrorist and these terrorists, for whatever reason, have probably like engineered the Virogen and were trying to smuggle off this like uh, chlorophyll mist that exists on Alta Vista where the station is for purposes as yet unknown. Yes. Uh because they're like, maybe this is where they built the virus and it is designed or whatever. Anyway, he floats this idea to the station administrator. She's like, this is a very dangerous thing you've told you told me. You have to make sure you have to be very careful about who you tell about this. And McCard's like, well, I have to tell my crew. I trust them completely. And he stands up to go tell them. And then she attacks him with like a welding laser and like be like breaks his environmental suit, exposing him to the virogen and nearly killing him. And then she tells the Enterprise, oh, there was a riot. The terrorists have taken over, have captured Picard. Uh, and you need to not come to the station because if you do, they'll kill him. And so please just sit tight. Don't ask questions. And Riker takes this about as well as you'd expect and immediately uh, like launches a rescue operation to get Picard out of there. <laughs> Picard gets immediately owned by the, oh, have you told anyone else? Routine? And he's like, no, I just came to this conclusion, which is the wrong thing to say when anyone asks I, you that I'm question. I'm fairly sure there's a line where he's like, mm, this isn't suspicious, but he didn't want to like add more suspicion onto his crew. Um, yes to justify why he's being a huge idiot <laughs> uh and then he gets owned picard wakes up to meet strawn and his pregnant wife who unfortunately this uh summary i'm looking at does not list her name uh so i don't know anyway they decide they're arguing about whether they should kill him or not and then uh strawn is like no the federation knows about everything because he like has a gambit basically offers just enough information to try to convince them that the Federation knows their plot. And he's like, well, there's one way to find out. I can just mind meld with you. And he goes to do that. Uh, and Picard's like, I'm just gonna get really angry and that'll throw him off. That's not actually how anything works, Picard. So he just kind of pushes through that. But then he actually falls back in shock because Picard has actually mind melded before with the leader of this terrorist organization. That leader is Sarah Vulcan. That's true. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so 
Riker launches this uh, rescue operation, which involves like beaming cargo containers into the atmospheric force field of this station, just enough to disrupt the shields enough that you can beam through them. Yes. It's pretty cool. Uh, they land a bunch of, uh, they land a bunch of uh, like soldiers in there. I don't know, Starfleet officers. They're not soldiers, but what? And then they like scale down the dome. They're like rappelling down, except for Data, who in very much a TNG movie move just runs down the side of the dome because he can control his momentum well enough to do that. When you ride it, it seems cool, right? Like it seems like yeah, that might well, <laughs> yes, that would be a thing. Having that would having do. recently just watched all the TNG like <laughs> movies, this is a hundred percent the kind of stunt that would be in one of those movies. Yeah, just really bad, and it would be because this would be like late uh one of those so you'd have just a really bad cg breath yes, spine except except for the very end where he like dismounts which would be a very bad wire work thing <laughs> yes very bad wire work <laughs> and then definitely some like close-up shots of his face as you see his hands coming up as he's running and just the background yes. going past on the green oh, screen oh saru <laughs> oh right oh right oh they've done this yeah discovery news exactly oh. <laughs> Anyway, they rescue Picard. They beam yep. him out. Uh, they beam him into a shuttlecraft in de- in the shuttle bay, decompressed, and Crusher's there because she will expose herself to the Virogen to help attend to Picard because he's actually really injured from being attacked by like a welding laser or whatever. Because um, like the the whole plan of this specific attack thing is they can't go to him because he's exposed to the Virogen, so he needs to be beamed into a like a quarantined facility. Uh, and yep. uh, Beverly Crusher decides, I'll do it. I'll be with yes. him. That's um, my plot. Well, yeah, because her and Picard are like besties, even though they never actually get together in those movies. Look, there's a lot of problems with these <laughs> movies. This uh, is more interaction and like emotional content that they have here than in um, than they've had in those movies. Yeah. Um, they talk to the station administrator. Turns out she was in on the whole thing. Shock of shocks. So I mean, Picard <gasps> realized that. And then she blows up the entire station, killing 400 people instead of like talking to Riker and Picard. Yeah, no, that's a big shocking moment. Yes. Um, Picard's like, well, if they're Vulcan terrorists, the, like the obvious thing we have to do is go to where all Vulcans live, the planet Vulcan, and they set off the Enterprise to go to Vulcan because doing these blockades isn't actually doing any good because they literally are just, Starfleet stretched too thin that communications are breaking down. There's like rumors of a riot on a starbase. Uh, it's a bad time. So like, we'll just go to Vulcan and we'll see what's there. Uh, even if it's in direct, like, countermanding of our orders. I'm going to round up all the ships that are in the blockade locally. I'm taking command as, like, the eldest captain in Starfleet that runs the fucking flagship. And we're going to go and figure out what these terrorists are doing and why Vulcan is harboring terrorists, if they are. Yes. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. On Babel. It is Babel, right? Yeah, uh, I believe so, yes. Yes. On Babel, which is where Sarek once negotiated that peace treaty in that episode, Journey to Babel, uh, now a terraform planet, Spock is trying to get uh, he's trying to get a Romulan delegation to communicate with the Federation, to have a conversation about what's going on. The Federation, however, is stuck in this idea that, oh, maybe the Romulans created the Virogen and they uh, are just trying to stab us in the back, so we can't talk to any Romulan delegation. And Spock is like, do you realize how hard it was to get the Romulans to agree to come in the first place? How much risk they've taken to get here? Uh, the, the Romulan Senate never would have approved of this. This is like a very dangerous thing. The Romulan Senate, two years away from being turned to stone, so it's fine. <laughs> five years, please. Five years. Oh, is it really five years? God. 97 2002, yeah. Oh, is that the actual time limit or time gap in the books? Um. Yes. Well, yeah, because this. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. 
That's weird considering Riker and Troy like hook up in Insurrection and are getting married in Nemesis. They take a long time with their like reflamed relationship. They should have just set Nemesis like two years earlier than it. Like they shouldn't. They should not have kept the real time thing once yes. the TV start stopped. Just yeah. have that like the day after Voyager. Yeah, like they've been like hot and cold for like set like. 10 years now being on the Enterprise and they re- decide oh yeah we're actually really about this and then wait another 5 years to get married like what a ridiculous thing people like, don't this, do that this would have been when this would have been when Insurrection came out like a year before so they would have been f- fuck right, god damn it mad again carry on so Spock's doing this on Babel yeah and the, basically the Federation's like we can't trust the Romulans while there's Virgin's going on and he's like well shit uh, and so, I mean, he basically is well because he's, he's old enough now that he doesn't care sometimes he's emotional you know, yes. that's straight up what his thing is about. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's working with his, uh, his, what's his uh, assistant's name? Do you remember? Tarok? Or is, it, or is that the other one? Or is it? Sr- no, that's the other one. Srell? Oh, right. Yes, it is Srell. Yeah, it's Srell. Uh, Srell, who was his father's assistant. And basically Spock was like, well, you're really good at this. Sarek trusted you, so you can be my assistant. I trust you too. And he brings him, no, he, he gives him this news and Spock's like, I need to be alone to meditate on this. Please get fucked. And so he does. <laughs> and then a Klingon comes in with a, I assume is basically just a Tashiar holographic message projector. Yes. Um, and he's like, I have this. And then turns around and leaves because Klingons and Spock turns it on. And it's Keeman Drosen, who was Sarek's like human uh, lieutenant, like assistant guy who we met in the episode Sarek in TNG, which we watched some time ago for this very podcast. Uh, and he has this message in which he's apologizing for what he's done. The efforts that he took place to spy on Sarek, report his activities and his culpability in the death of Ambassador Sarek. The murder, specifically, of Ambassador Sarek, which is news to Spock, considering his father died of a degenerative illness. Yes. Uh, but then in the in the hologram, Keeman Drosen then takes a disruptor out, turns it on himself, and vaporizes himself. End of message. Um, Sorrell's like, well, clearly that's a fake, because Keeman Drosen is at this place where I, like, I was just looking at where he was yesterday. Uh, also, you can't kill a man with a degenerative illness. And Spock's like, well, actually, there's a lot of ways you can kill someone with a degenerative illness if you try hard enough. Um... <laughs> Which is funny because uh, one of the TNG crew say that exact same thing like 200 pages later. Um, yeah. the, the, this book has a lot of things of um, the two plot lines not converging, so they have to make the same deductions. Yes. Uh, and he's like, well, uh, if we're going to find any of this out, we're going to have to go to Vulcan and uh, like examine like this stuff. Maybe meet with people uh, that knew my father when he was older or when he was younger. Um, and so they go to Vulcan. When they go to Vulcan, they meet with someone who's basically uh, Spock's uncle. This is Tarok. Uh, yes, this is Tarok. He is also in the grips of Bende syndrome, which, thinking emoji. Uh, <laughs> and he goes to Tarok's estate, and he's got two Klingon nurses that are basically wearing, like, porny nurse outfits. Like, this is explicit in the book that Tarok's, like, an old Vulcan that was never much of a traditionalist, so he just has hot Vulcan nur- or hot Klingon nurses, which is a very cartoonish thing to put in a Star Trek book. But this is, was w- written by William Shatner, so I guess I'm not that surprised. <laughs> Yeah, well, then we'll go to Vulcan, where there's, all, there's just loads of hot Klingon nurses on Vulcan. And yes. the Reef Stevens is like, okay, sure. <laughs> Make it work. Anyway, he goes there, and uh, Tarok is basically in the like depths of dying of Bendy Syndrome. And then Spock's like, no, I have to know about my parents. This is very important to me. Uh, one of the plot points in this book is that Spock's never melded, like, he never mind-melded with Sarek, uh, and is very upset about that, because the idea of a parent not mind-melding with their child is, like, unthinkable to Vulcans, apparently. Yes. 
Um, anyway, uh, he's, he basically goes to force a mind meld. And as he goes to do that, uh, two things happen. Uh, so the Klingon nurses tear him off of Tuck, who's basically like you assaulted him because he did basically assault this man. But at the same time, the uh, the mansion is attacked by mysterious people. And uh, Sorrel's like, how, what happened? What is going on? And Spock's like, well, did you, did you make, uh, did you make inquiries into the Vulcan system about like finding people who are associated with my father when he was young? And Sorrel's like, yes, of course I did. Vulcan's like, or Spock's like, well, clearly someone on Vulcan realized that and is trying to silence us and those people. The conspiracy deepens. Where could this be going? Meanwhile. Meanwhile. (laughs) Someone else planet, has to end up on Vulcan. <laughs> on the planet Shawl. Yes. A mysterious stranger walks into a Starfleet medical outpost. Shawl has been totally fucked up by the Virogen. Like, the Virogen happened. Uh, it would destroy all of, like, all, a lot of plant life. But because Shawl was, like, a weird genetically engineered ecosystem anyway, it actually, like, the Starfleet efforts to fix this ecosystem problem in the early days of the Virogen, like devastated the actual plant animal life too so all of basically all of chal is fucked like all the plants are dying all the animals are dying everyone's like deformed from pesticides it's really bad and the actual like people the children of chal while like normal humanoids just like get the virogen to be fine uh because they have this weird like hybrid system that is like a bunch of grafted organs and stuff they're all fucked too because they're all dying from the virogen yes it's a bad time there is like one ship stationed here. It is a like low tier science vessel commanded by a commander, Christine McDonald, not even a real captain in this shitty science vessel at the edge of the Federation on Shaw. Christine's uh, cool. So Christine has two main crew members. There is her engineer, uh, Bark, who is a Tellarite, uh, always here for Tellarites. And then a Dr. Andrea Mabenga, uh, I assume that there is a Dr. Mabenga in the original series. I didn't look this up because they there reference is. a Mabenga that Kirk knew. I don't know if that was a book or from an episode. Nope. Uh, he is from an episode. Okay. Uh, from two episodes, it seems like. Yeah. No, he's okay, from. Cool. He's, I'm looking at the thing right now. He has been. He is a medical officer that serves on the five year mission. Uh, in the event of McCoy's absence, he became the ranking CMO. Oh, what episodes were McCoy absent in? Um, I don't. I. I don't know. I don't know if that means that McCoy was absent. I just mean, I think it means he's second in command. Oh, okay. Uh, I, he may have, there may have been episodes. He was in That Which Survives and A Private Little War. So I don't. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, anyway, a stranger walks in and is like, could you direct me to the computer terminal? And she's like, well, sure. And the stranger is like a bearded man in a, like a Vulcan trader garb, like a hood. So she doesn't really know who it is past he has a beard. Um, and then she's like, well, here, here's where the computer terminal is. He's like, could you use it for me? Not really good with computers. And she's like, it's the 24th century. How could anyone not be good with computers? Uh, but she looks up something and he's looking specifically for a name of someone who used to live here a long time ago. Cause he wants to visit her grave. That name is Taylani and alarm bells going off. Obviously. I wonder uh, who this and, is. Yeah. And she's like, well, it's not in the files. When did your friend die? And he's like, I don't know, sometime in the last 80 years. She like rolls back the dates of her search. And it turns out that Tilani is not actually dead. She is in the hospital, but she's in the wing for people who are about to die. Um, 
So this mysterious stranger goes to meet with her and he's like, I need to see her. And he brushes past the doctor and then he's like, I need a cup of water to like give her some tea. And uh, the doctor's like, we're on strict water rations because that's where we're at now. There's not even water. Like there's no ice linear chips on this planet. They like burnt out the last one. The replicators don't work. It's a bad time everywhere. Um, and so they get some water and brew the tea because Christine McDonald says it's okay. And he gives her the tea and then instantly she starts getting better because the tea is like full of mysterious chemicals that counteract the virogen in her. Um, and then uh, he prepared this tea on like a plate that he pulled out from underneath the bed. And then he scoops up this lady as she wakes up and she goes, oh, James, just like a James Bond movie uh, as he carries her out. And Christine McDonald, McDonald looks at the plate that uh, was wrapped up under the bed and it is the dedication plaque of the Enterprise A. We last saw destroyed over Chal in it's Ashes true. of Eden. And so she's like, this can't possibly be him, but clearly it must be him. And it's, no one believes her. No one believes her, even though like <laughs> what all these books are about. I mean, I, I guess nothing that happened in the Return got out to anyone, even yeah, though no, the, it is which, it is like hyper hyper classified, which is weird because the Viridian Free Free stuff is totally everyone knows about that. So everyone knows that Kug did at one point well, come no, back. The, the, the thing the thing that's in the official documents is that. Oh, the Enterprise crashed at Viridian 3, and then there was a cleanup. And then, like, they go to look up what happened to Kirk's body, and they're like, like, there's no mention. So he must have been left on Viridian 3. And they're like, that can't be possible. That violates all of our first contact protocols and prime directive stuff. They would have had to have moved him. What about the Enterprise? And then it's just like, oh, the Enterprise crashed, and it's just implied that they left it there too, which clearly they did not do. But to get into why it took them forever to remove it would be getting involved in all this Borg shit. So they don't talk about that in the official sources. But, like... Before Kirk showed up again at Viridian Three, he was thought to be dead. It wasn't he wasn't like missing. He he yes. died. He he died, and then yes. they. But but he, when he came back, it wasn't like he came back long enough to like actually come back or in a way that was m meaningful. I don't understand why everyone knows that Kirk showed up for five because, minutes because because the things that happen in movies are in the official reports, and the things that happen in these books are not. But that doesn't. I don't like that being the like, distinction. This is I, a question of canon. Like, you're talking about canon here. But I'm talking about canon from the perspective of the people in the universe. Yeah. What makes but, the mission, what makes the stuff of Viridian 3 more important to be known by all of Starfleet? Like, it's, I don't... Yeah, I don't, but the idea that you, they would be writing, like, six more of these books in a universe where all of Starfleet knows that Kirk and Picard teamed up to blow up the Borg homeworld is just unconscionable. You can't do that. That's basically oh, writing I, your own universe at that point. No, I would have had it that no one knew that he had been back since the 23rd oh, century. Yeah, how I, I, would I, get, I mean, you make the choice that makes Shatner look good, right? I assume so. I, I mean, yes, like, that's the choice Shatner... I mean, Shatner makes the choices that Shatner thinks makes him look good. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, okay, well, that was, a, that was a tangent. But yes, it's Kirk. <laughs> So anyway, they have a bunch of conversations about whether he's Kirk or not. And he declares, no, he's definitely not James Kirk. James Kirk died a long time ago. But also he knows a lot of things about Starfleet and starships and what it means like to be a captain and how much angst that can bring you as a person. So there's basically only one person in history it could possibly be. But also, like, I spent a lot of time doing this and building this up. And you're like, is this doing something? Because it doesn't say where he's been. That's just not mentioned. It's because he, the last time we saw him, he was dying. So you're waiting for it to get to something like, oh, what's the mysterious but there isn't any. The, the, the spoilers is just Kirk. <laughs> yeah. It's just Kirk. 
Yeah, it's Kirk. There's a lot of great conversations about her being her being like a plucky young Starfleet uh, commander with a ship and him going like, look, being a captain is not what matters here. Like your crew is what matters. Enjoy your friends. Don't worry too much about the ship. And she's like, that's a thing an 80 year old man would say. He's like, well, look at me. I'm 80 fucking years old. <laughs> I really like um, the interactions between Christine and Kirk. Like Christine's a great it, character. Yes. Except for the part where except, because yes. William Shatner is part of this, there's, there's this moment where he's like, oh, she's into me. We could totally do this and it would be fine. And when, like, I can't no. do that because I've got my like recovering from death old girlfriend that I'm around now. There's literally a bit where like one page is him t- talking about, oh, sh- we would totally be into each other. We-, we could we could do this. And then the literal next page is like, Kirk and Talani made love a hundred times. <laughs> no, it was like for the first time, for the hundredth, it didn't matter. It's not about them actually making, like, fucking a hundred times. Yes, but it still says that. <laughs> no, it's I mean, they fucked a hundred times in the first book. Like, we've been through this. It's still a ridiculous line. He literally fucked himself young. His quarters were so disheveled, Scotty was embarrassed going into them. Like, Yes, I know. I'm still not over it. <laughs> okay, that was months ago now. Yes, it was. It's still... And then it's like, hey, remember that? Well, that again. It's yes, only actually been about six months later. And it's much better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyway. Uh, yes, and so... Uh, he talks about like, oh, I found these leaves. They're called Trenin leaves. They might be Klingon. I'm not really sure. I don't speak Klingon. Even though he canonically speaks Klingon, he went to Worf and spoke Klingon in the last book. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> not even like canon canon, but in the the last literal book that he wrote. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they can cure the virogen in animal life, though they can't, like, it doesn't seem like you, you can't just pour the tea on plants and they're better now. It doesn't work that way. Yes. But they're like, oh, well, this is something. We'll send it out to Starfleet and we can like have some communiques because they, they're basically talking about the virogen and what could possibly be starting it and Kirk's starting to put together maybe this is like a weird man-made thing because why would this ever come to Chal unless it was like an act of terrorism because Chal's like in the middle of nowhere no one fucking comes here uh, he knows this for a fact because he also would barely never come here except for the hot lady who drew him here um, <laughs> well it's weird because they actually talk about Chal having like a thriving tourist industry Eventually, yeah. when it becomes settled down, like once everyone realizes it's just a nice planet that has a dumb myth around it. So, it d- like, he's wrong. <laughs> yes. But he's right enough to have them go, hmm, maybe the Virogen was man made. And they send out a communique saying, oh, maybe with, along with the thing about like hearing the Virogen and animals being like, oh, maybe that's enough to, uh, Maybe that's enough for Starfleet to help. We should ask some questions about like the career, the start of the Virogen. And then mysteriously, like a day later, they're attacked by Orion pirates and they only target the communication devices on the planet. And so Kirk's like, well, clearly you sent out that communique. Someone must have got it and came calling to shut you up for good. Uh, and so there's like a fight where he has to take this bad, like this awful uh, science ship into battle against these Orion pirates. And he goes in the atmosphere and like creates a sonic boom to disrupt them. And then they shoot them down and they go to the wreckage of one. And what's inside is not Orion, but a Vulcan. Yes. There's no hmm. genetic drift. Cause there's been like a little bit of play that it might be the Romulans up to this point. Yes. Uh, but it's not the Romulans. It's, it's a Vulcan. It's coming from inside the Federation. Yes. 
Uh, and so him, he basically goes to Christine is like, well, we should go to Vulcan and see what's what. And she's like, I'm stationed here. Like, that's my job. And I understand that you're like Captain Kirk, but like, you're not in Starfleet anymore. And I'm still just a commander. And he's like, well, let's go anyway. And so she says yes, because of course she does. Otherwise, the book would fall apart. Uh, I mean, he's also like, you just tried, they, Starfleet tried to murder you. <laughs> yes. We should probably go to Vulcan. So they go to Vulcan. Uh, they go to Vulcan exactly in time to save Spock when he's being attacked at uh, at that estate yes. where mysterious attackers come. And so there's a scene of Spock like running around like, oh, I need to fight off the attackers. And then he stumbles across someone in the dark in a hallway and he fights each other. And then the explosion illuminates, illuminates their faces as they're like trying to strangle each other. And it's Kirk and Spock fighting each other and they both scream and jump back. And it's very ridiculous. <laughs> yep. and, and then Spock like laughs and smiles and says, I knew you weren't dead. Just like at the end of a muck time. And it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, the the this happens like halfway through the book because this book is actually mostly about Kirk and Spock hanging out. Yes, <laughs> finally they knew what we wanted: Kirk and Spock hanging out. Oh, they sure hang out, and that's what they're gonna do. And they're like, "Haha, we knew you weren't dead. Time to stop strangling each other and hang out." So they fight off the terrorists, and uh, they are investigating what po- possibly could have happened when the Vulcan authorities show up and arrest everyone because a Starfleet <laughs> ship with no orders showed up with. Ambassador Spock on it. They like they make Kirk dressed in a, like a, a lieutenant's uniform because like we don't want people to ask questions about you. That's too much. But Spock can be here, and the Vulcans look at Spock and go, "You're on a secret mission from Starfleet. We don't have any communiques that can back that up because communications are broken down. You were on Romulus. Last we heard, people were suspecting Romulus might have been part of where the Virogen came from. So maybe you're working with the Romulans. You're all going into jail until we can sort this out." <laughs> Yes, so they all get taken, uh, it's on a space station specifically, they all get taken yes. to uh, Vulcan Space Jail. Which, uh, Which is what like it a is bunch it? of cells, yes. and when they they put they put two people into each cell, so it's, uh, it's um, Bark and uh, Srell, it's Mabenga and Christine, and it's Kirk and Spock in one, obviously. Uh, because Kirk claims the Tellarite gives him allergies, which is a very rude thing to say, obviously, but he needed to be in with Spock. Um, and it turns out that these cells are actually holodecks in which you're just in like Sirach's meditation garden on Vulcan while you're in there. And thus, there's no way to escape the perfect prison. That's the most fucking Vulcan interpretation of a good prison of all time. Fuck off. <laughs> you know, uh, we're the Vulcans. Logically, it would be bad to like use punitive measures. Therefore, we'll just put you in an empty meditation garden forever. Like, piss off, Vulcans. <laughs> so while they're waiting... One, there's, so a couple things happen. One, Spock is very, like, becoming increasingly emotional to the point where, like, people are kind of worried about him because Mm -hmm. he gets, like, visibly angry in a way that is not becoming some of Spock's age. Like, the Vulcans who run the station are like, we're gonna, do you need any help, uh, Ambassador? And he's like, no, I need you to free me or get the hell out of my way. And they're like, well, that's rude. Uh, And they draw some blood to make sure everyone doesn't have the Virogen because that's a thing that they're worried about. Um, That's how they get onto this space jail in the first place. They thought they were going to go to Vulcan jail. uh, But Spock was like, we've all been exposed to the Virogen and everyone panics. Uh, But he thought that the space station would not have these meditation garden prisons because that's what Vulcan has. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize they'd been upgraded. Damn, we'll never get out of these. Which means Kirk has to have a lesson in how holodecks work in order to get them out of jail. 
This is what Star Trek fans want. You, you're going to have a like four page, like four page block of people just in de- depth but, discussing the mechanics of holodecks and like theorizing but, how to like make them do things they don't want to do. But before that happens, Jackson, Spock asks Kirk the obvious question: How the hell are you still alive, Jackson? How the hell is Captain Kirk still alive? Ah, uh, just just doesn't matter. <laughs> like he he's like ah oh, it's time to tell my story and it's literally just yeah so because it's the borg home world it turns out there's a beam that just saves you <laughs> and he's like okay apparently th- yeah like what happened when he threw the switch to start the home borg, home borg home world is like the borg transporters whenever a borg is like killed are just a thing that is like throughout the galaxy and maybe multiple galaxies that's just like a force that exists to beam borg onto a trash planet yes whenever borg are killed Ascent, that is essentially what happens it is a like what he the device is such that he was going to be blown up so the borg system knew that whoever clicked that device was about to be blown up and he's got the borg nanites in him so it detected him as a borg and realized okay we need to like transport this to our trash planet as part of like the borg recovery protocol and he is transported there where where he meets hugh dun 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 hard cut back to spock going well i don't know if that's the hugh (laughs) no spock goes hugh Captain McCart had a log about a hue, and Kirk's like, no, 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 there's like a, there was like a thousand hues, don't worry about it, there's just a common name. <laughs> Which is hilarious, because the idea of, of Picard going, we will call you Hugh, and introduce you back to the Borg, and maybe you will like, in, like have a sense of individuality and culture when we next meet, and the, what happens is they all call themselves Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty Borg, well done everyone. <laughs> Anyway, these Borg have all landed on the trash planet alive enough to, like, survive. And what they've created is, like, this long-running culture of people who have rejected their implants through, like, the means of, like, seeds and, uh, like, energies and herbs and shit that they've collected that have, like... Because when the Borg beam, like, beams up things, they just kind of beam indiscriminately. So there's, like, just chunks of planet and shit that get beamed up, too. Uh, and so they've gathered this all, and presumably over thousands of years, given the, the like, context of this, they've created this society where they've created medicines that will allow Borg to reject their implants and become fully human, at, like, patchwork Frankenstein people. Uh, so there's a bunch of, like quilted skinned like native borg people running around it's problematic yes. is what i'm saying and also also kirk spent two years among them as like the one who had very little borg implants all he had was the nanite so they got those out of him and then he would like gather up the borg parts and while he was there being useful to the community he totally slept with the borg lady because of course he did of course he did it's like <laughs> He's yeah gotta i sleep a, with at least two I ladies fucked a borg. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, I like so one he fucks a Borg, um, yes. two the the answer to how he survives his death nanites is it, like he gets them fucking homeopathies away. I can't pronounce homeopathy. Yeah, they put but, like a salve on him that just draws the nanites out, and but then also he's like, washed clean. Because the whole thing with that uh, place is like them rejecting their technology. They don't have technology to beat them. They've just got yeah. We found the right plants to remove your nanites, but over enough time where it makes sense. Uh, naturalism will defeat technology, Jackson. I've heard. I've, I've heard. Yeah. I've played Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. I mean, we read the other book. <laughs> that too. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what all these is, are, right? Yep. 
Anyway, he spent two years there. He found a Borg scout ship. He's like, I'm going to take a bunch of these leaves, including those training leaves, and get out of here because I don't want to hang around these Borg the rest of my life. That's stupid. I've already fucked one. What more is there for me to do? <laughs> there are no more worlds to conquer. I'm going back to Chal to my hot and fake wife. <laughs> oh, and Kirk wept. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So they're in the meditation garden. They need to get out. How do they? How do holodecks work in a way you can exploit them to get out, Jackson? So they start talking about how um, he is real. So they're standing next to each other. And they're like, "Okay, we are real, uh, and the the holodeck is fake. If I throw my shoe, which is also real, it will hit the wall, um, and then like appear to go on because a, holo- a holographic recreation of the shoe will continue. But the actual real material has to hit the boundaries. Uh, when Spock and Kirk walk apart, like more than the space of the wall, they cannot see each other. They are in fact seeing holographic representations of each other from each other's perspective. That is how the force fields are working. Yes. Yeah, as, as force fields basically create a treadmill effect to make you think you're moving away when you're not. Yeah. So basically, everything else in the room when you're not right right in like touching distance is not there even if it's something that's in the room it is a like an, another hologram so they work out that but what do they end up doing they like get far enough so, that they can get so to basically the what happens like they, they judge the distance by throwing spock's edict pin at the wall and spock judges the distance um and then what they have to do because they have to trick the force fields to not make it seem like kirk is just moving away so they put up the like yes. they make the hologram change around kirk and put the force fields on his they movement ha- they have to figure so, out like the point where he switches from being real kirk to hologram kirk from spock's perspective and yes, vice versa and and spock has to then throw him that far without a running leap so the computer doesn't know what's happening so he basically he like puts his foot in spock's hands and spock throws kirk like a meter and a half against the wall yep. uh which knocks the wind out of kirk but it's enough to get him on the other side of the hologram and he's like what do you see and spock's like you appear to have rolled away three meters away <laughs> i suggest you hurry and then kirk just goes around the edge of the hologram to the controls because vulcans in the height of arrogance have not actually put locks on these doors because who would escape the meditation gardens of Surak? Yep, no, he like throws himself at the wall, escapes the holodeck, and then realizes there's a big green button saying, shut off. Yes. <laughs> the big button marked escape. Because <laughs> the Vulcans are idiots. So they get out. As they get out, they're met by uh, Christine and uh, Benga, who have already escaped and are like on their way. They're like, oh, yeah, we figured it out. We know how holodecks work. We're Starfleet. And then a second later, Sorrel and Bark get out. Uh, Sorrel uh, surmising that for non-Vulcans, they would just try to get out. Whereas Vulcans use that opportunity to reflect because that's what the meditation gardens of Sorak in like impel in all of Vulcans because they're no, they, they're the place where you go when you meditate. So everyone becomes like placid and calm and Kirk's like, well, definitely they'll have to do some work for humans and anyone else. Yep. Uh, anyway, they all run away. They all get on their ship. Uh, they go to power it up and get that. Like it's an impound. They go to get rid of it. Meanwhile, they have to, like, well, well, okay. I thought, I thought that was it. No, no, no. They have to go. And get the uh, the like umbilical undone because if they if they do it through the ship commands, uh, the space station will know that they're undocking. So they have to go down there and manually do it. When that happens, they're attacked by people from the space station, and in the scuffle, Sorrel is killed by a disruptor blast. Yes, right. And that S- does happen. And Spock is like beside himself, like weeping openly, and it's a real bummer. Yeah, Sorrel's been his like aid all this time. 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, Picard and the Federation fleet show up at Vulcan saying, we think there's terrorists on Vulcan. We are going to scan your entire planet. The Vulcan government is like, uh, excuse me, there's already one of your ships showing up doing shady shit here. We are not going to allow you to do that. To do that would be an act of war. You are going to cause war between Earth and Vulcan doing this shit. Is that what you really want? And Picard's like, I don't really give a damn what you want. You're a bunch of Vulcans. I'm going to do it. Uh, and they're like, well, I guess. We're going to talk about it first, though. <laughs> if Picard's like, like, Picard has already activated the code one at this point. Yes. And he's like, and, and so, they're like, so they s- are you recall? And so they're like, oh, yeah, you can't declare war on Vulcans. That's bad. And he's like, I'm not declaring war on you, idiots. Let me scan the planet. We've got to do this. The Federation's dying. Uh, yes. <laughs> And so they send over, like, the head of the Vulcans, and then, like, the, like, it's like the three leads of the Vulcans. There's some guy who doesn't matter. <laughs> and then there's, then there's uh, Strawn and T'Pring, who are the people who, from like, T'Pring was the one. What? From Amok Time. Yes, from Amok Time, who Spock was supposed to marry, and then she went with Strawn. And they're just here, like, the leaders of Vulcan now. Uh, they're also the grandparents of Srell, which comes up. Yes. Uh, and so they have a big conversation and Picard basically asks what's about this ship that like docked here. What, what's going on with that? And they give him footage of the trial where Spock was there. Cause he needs to know about Spock. And, uh, he notices the only person who notices that one of the people, of this trial is James Kirk in a lieutenant's uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because no one else knows who Kirk is even like, uh, strong to Pring, even though they've met Kirk. It's not like he looks that different. Yeah, he's he, not. He's not. Like, I guess to Vulcans, all humans look the same, right? I mean, that's fair enough. <laughs> They're pretty arrogant Vulcans too, so maybe they yeah. didn't even watch the video. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, he's like, "Oh, that James Kirk. That's weird." And then, like, we also have some bad news. We tested uh, Spock's blood, and he also has Bendy syndrome. And Picard's like, "Wait a second. Bendy syndrome only affects Vulcans like at the age of two hundred, and it's even really rare." Then his father had it. It's not genetic. Spock is only like one hundred and seventy-four. That'd make him like the youngest person on Earth to suffer from it. Clearly, that has just been induced by like being like subjected to the pathogen or something. Like people are Vulcans are going around killing people with Bendy syndrome. It's a like. It is a controversy that will shake the Federation to its core, except for the fact the Federation's already falling apart because of this thing. Yes, we can't really deal with this right now because we've got another thing. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, anyway, they go to, yeah, the yeah. Kirk's going on. <laughs> yeah, they they go to stop Kirk from leaving, and well, no, Kirk's there's like, a well... Great, there's a great bit where they're like, um, I don't know, well, it's uh, well, they've been impounded, and then Riker's like, well, have they, though? Have they? <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, maybe you should check on the status of your prisoners. And then the the magistrate goes to look at like a flashing light on her desk, and she goes, "It seems like we have some technical problems." <laughs> Riker's like, "Yeah, I bet you do." Uh, but there's not much TNG stuff with that crew this episode, uh, this episode, this book, because it's mostly about Kirk and Spock hanging out. But this is a good moment. Anyway, uh, they go to try to stop Kirk from leaving because the Enterprise is a good cop at all times. Uh, and Kirk's like, do you really want to go through this, John Luke? And he's like, look, we have to stop you. you whatever you're doing, uh, we need to at least talk about it first. And Kirk's like, we don't have any time to talk. And he rams the Enterprise with the shields of his ship because he can't actually outfight it. He can just, like, disrupt it enough to warp away. So he rams the ship. Uh, neither of them are particularly, like, stringent, like strongly damaged, just enough to disrupt everything like he'd expect. And then they fly off to where they think the original pro- part of this whole plot started. 
Uh, we'll get there. Anyway, Picard's like, hmm, we were going to scan Vulcan, but if Kirk flew off in a hurry, he probably knows more than we do because he's been on Vulcan longer. We should probably just go after him instead. <laughs> yeah. And also the, like, um, suddenly... The Vulcans are all totally like, oh, yeah, you can scan our planet. That's fine. We don't care. Specific, specifically, specifically strong to Pringer like that. And uh, Troy notices, oh, weird. They also are like shady in the way that I've been picking up from all these shady Vulcans in a way that the like actual leader guy is not. They must be part of this terrorist plot, too. Also, they didn't seem that concerned about the death of their grandson, uh, which, you know, obviously uh, spoilers for what we're going to find out in 20 pages. But Srell is also part of the terrorist plot. On the way there, we should probably talk about what the terrorists actually want. Jackson, yes. do you want to cover what the terrorists want? Right. This this, this comes up early on this, but basically, yes. what, what has been discovered is that the terrorist plot is uh, an not not ancient, but an old Vulcan um, group. Called it, they the... they say it's been going on for at least two hundred years. Yeah, but it's like old in terms of the Federation. But I say ancient yes. implies something about Vulcan, but it's like um, yes. A group called the Symmetrists, who rejected the Federation on primarily ecological uh, grounds. They have their argument is that the Federation, through their like terraforming, through their ships, through just the way they conduct themselves, will essentially lead to the deaths of billions. Like the Federation will collapse uh, because it doesn't recognize the like balance of the galaxy. That's why they're called Symmetrists. Uh, they are like imprinting themselves on the on the galaxy, and eventually they will collapse and lead to the death of billions. Therefore, uh, the Symmetrists believe that they have to. Um, like through acts of violence stop the well, federation so originally the symmetrists were just a bunch of scientists saying hey don't terraform planets don't turn every planet to earth you're gonna fucking ruin the galaxy yes and the federation were like but it's easier to do it this way so please just stop until you can bring us some real data while they're like trying to gather data for like 100 years a bunch of other vulcans are like this by the time we have the data it'll be too late the galaxy will be fucked we just need to blow up shit now and so like more extremist people started blowing shit up now uh and then like the more traditional symmetrists like divorced themselves and the group basically disbanded though the the implication here is that the hardliners went underground uh, in the intervening like 100 years. Uh, what they deduce is that Sarek was a leader of the original symmetrists who just opposed on like moral grounds, the terraforming of the Federation. And at some point, something caused him to leave when they went too far with their ideology. That thing, they surmise, is the acts of Kodos the Executioner in Tarsus 4, the fungal like thing that destroyed all the grain and caused everyone to starve. And then he had to kill everyone. Um was like it's like oh this is very similar to the virgin this is basically their first test run of this very thing where they were going to introduce ecological disaster to teach the federation a lesson and so they're like well if we're going to find the answer we have to go back to where it all began we have to go back to tarsus 4 which is now basically like a dead planet yep and they do and there's this really dumb moment for some reason this is the thing i remember where they're like the city was there blah 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 blah, blah. And there's a whole description of it and someone goes is it just is it really cool do you really call it that and he's like no it has a name it's called new haven but everyone calls it the city well he's like <laughs> after the event after kodos they called it the city yeah. yes. uh, it's really dumb uh, but basically all that's left is a giant building with a giant Federation logo outside of it. And it's all <laughs> covered by a giant force field. It's like the most like heavy handed symbolism in the world, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah, no, this book is a JRPG. It's Star Trek yeah. JRPG on some level. Um, and so they beam down, they use the trick that Riker invented to beam the cargo containers into the thing to beam down inside. Important to say in that the, the Enterprise E is there with them now. Yes, the Enterprise shows up uh, because they follow Kirk and they all have the com conversation about all these things and they put all the pieces together and like, we need to go down there, we need to avenge Sarek, we need to get the cure because they if they have the cure, it's going to be there. Um, 
And so they, they go in there to try to get the cure. Turns out they don't actually have a cure. Whoops, that's a big problem. Yeah, no, they realized um, that what actually happened here was like this was a carefully maintained plan where like they would introduce this to the Federation and then have the cure and then the lesson would be learned and all logic would be adhered to. Uh, the thing that they didn't count on is not having a cure. <laughs> yeah, the thing that happened is the virus mutated as viruses are wont to do and they couldn't cure it anymore and they're totally fucked. And they're like, oh shit. Um, yeah. so they're on this planet with every, and they're like trying to blow everything up um, and erase the evidence essentially uh, while everything is going to hell and there's no cure and so that's where Kirk and Picard are and the whole team and they're like crushes with them Troy's with them yeah everyone's with like, them everyone's there having a big fight <laughs> yeah uh, and they get attacked and they're the the symmetrists are like you know they're all Vulcans, so they're all super strong, and also they're like fanatics, so they're willing to die. Uh, so it's a bad scene. They run across Srell, who then is like mocking Spock and Kirk and everyone because he's like the big bad of this book. And then Kirk, uh, Spock's like, "You killed my father," and he gets all vengeful. But in actuality, it's Kirk who gets the last moment, right? Yes. So what happens? He's... Go ahead. What happens in this reveal is like first of Srell's like. Uh, it was me. I killed. I killed your father. I like. I was ex- existed to give you false leads and to like track with your progress to see how things were going and then push you off when the time was right. Even my death was planned to like perfectly destroy you. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and Spock gets all vengeful and then like he is backed away and then Kirk is like, "No, I must. I must kill you." And basically, stands over him while everything's blowing up around him. And Picard's like, "We have to beam out now. There is no more time." Uh and uh the the moment is like his sorrel's on the floor kirk's got the gun um kirk fires and the tank blows up beside him at the same time uh and like sorrel dies by the tank exploding but it does but like picard uh, not picard kirk also shoots uh, at the yes. same time so who can say what really happened who can say well that's Picard's like who can the say? tank blew up who can say what really happened and Kirk's <laughs> like no I fired the phaser Jean-Luc I, I, even if I didn't actually kill him my intent was to murder I did it I pulled the trigger I really I really like that this book has the who can say moment and Kirk completely rejects it like no the, shut up what do you mean who can say <laughs> you know, that Vulcan bastard he killed my fake father <laughs> yes, yes and that's uh and that's where. So then there's a couple. We'll talk about that in a second. But they just want to wrap up the like the remaining plot lines now quickly. Yeah. So so uh, Spock is being cured of the Bendy that has been introduced to him because they caught it early enough. It's actually like a poison that mimics the symptoms of Bendy syndrome. Um, and so they just like do dialysis until he's cured. They get the Alta Vista mist from the Symmetrist that is full of like the pure virgin as it was originally developed. And they're like, well, maybe we can use the trend and leaves and we can figure out how to fix this. And then we can just distribute the Alta Vista mist because the way the mist works, it's like a very fine uh, photosynthetic organism that goes through all the ecosystem of it. Like it basically is like a cloud of living plant and you could just do it put it in an ecosystem and if it had the cure it just disperse it throughout the planet like within days um and so but they need to figure out how to get the train and leave compound into the alta vista mist and that's like a scientific problem because you have to make the cell walls permeable enough to accept the train and leaves but not too permeable or the cells fall apart and they're just running like computations of it in sickbay as everyone's just arguing over what to do because like this is going to take weeks the federation doesn't have weeks 
and they use like the EMH to help them to help like yes, do the systems. And then the EMH is sassy in the way EMHs are, and he says like I am a doctor, not like what uh, something else. I don't know, who knows. And they're like, hmm, I wonder if he was made up of a bunch of like they say he's made up of a bunch of personalities of doctors. I wonder if one of them is our old friend McCoy. And they turn it on, and it's like McCoy from like the end of Undiscovered Country. McCoy, it's like young old McCoy. Yep. And so they like have him around like, oh, it's nice to have our old friend around. And he like rearranges everything. And he's like, oh, I have a new plan. We're going to get it faster. We're going to get it in days. And like, oh, days still might not be enough. And then while that's happening, the real McCoy walks in and Data goes, you might say I have on my arm, the real McCoy. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, turn that damn thing off. And McCoy is like 180 now. And he is old as fuck. And he immediately has a different plan on how to get everything done. And then he gets the cure in like two hours. Yeah. No, he's, he's cool. Uh, The best line in this is when he owns Data. (laughs) What does he say? Well, no, it's not he owns Data. He's, um... I think he owns. It's like he's like uh, Data laughs at something and um or, or tries to tell a joke and McCoy's like, "When did you get a sense of humor?" And Data goes, "Uh, precisely four years, five five months, <laughs> thirty two days ago." And then uh, McCoy's just like, "God, I thought Spock was bad." Uh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. McCoy is uh, good. So they have the cure. They disperse it. Picard's like. Well, we have the cure. It's going to take a long time to fix everything. Uh, I mean, not actually that long because Insurrection comes out the year after this. But it's going to take a long time to fix everything. But things will be put right. We, we've saved the Federation. And uh, Kirk's like, but you haven't because this is actually still a real problem. We found a cure this time because we got lucky. Next time, everything's going to collapse for real because it's not going to be the symmetrist. It's going to be just an actual disease and you're not going to be ready. And Picard's like, are you siding with the terrorists? He's like, well, they were right. He's like, but they killed a bunch of people. He's like, it doesn't change. Kirk's like, it doesn't change the fact they were right. And Picard's like, God, I can't believe you would say something like this. He's like, John Luke, I've been around the galaxy a time or two. I know right when I see it. And the Federation of this time is not right. And Picard's like, well, I'm going to drop you off on Shaw because I'm tired of having this conversation. (laughs) And Kirk is like, well, I hope next time we see each other, we're on the same side. Dun, dun, dun. And then he goes back to Shaw to retire as the galaxy gets fixed without him this time. Yes. And that's the end of the book. No, nope, we forgot He's one thing. He's with There's one thing. What, we I, what did we forget? Oh, right. <laughs> yes. We forgot one pretty thing? big thing. I mean, this, this happens first, but it is with, yes. uh, it is uh, Bones, Spock, and Kirk all take one last journey to Vulcan, where <laughs> they all go together, but then McCoy wakes outside <laughs> as Spock and Kirk enter, a ch- what's the chamber called? Um, I don't know, but it's on Mount Soleil, so it's like big deal Vulcan shit. Big deal Vulcan shit. Humans never go in here and essentially um, do something. They like see Sarek's culture or something. something Basically, they're going to, because Sarek never mind melded completely with them. They're going to take what fragments they have from Picard, from Kirk, from McCoy, and like implant that all in the like culture receptacles. Yes. They're magically going to make it so everyone can connect again. And essentially the whole point of this is to like enshrine um kirk and spock as actual brothers yeah because sarek's catcher is like my the son of my mind and the son of my body <laughs> yes uh which is entirely not true and made up by this book but it is a hilarious yeah, way to go but it's also entirely a thing sarek would think i feel like sarek, <laughs> the most on his bullshit it's like spock's not my real son he's too much like this me hum- kirk, this however, random is human exactly- is my yes. son <laughs> <laughs> after after you douse Michael Burnham, he also decides that Kirk is his real son. But just retroactively. Yeah. 
I didn't even consider when reading this book that of course Sarek just sees a random kid and is like, that's my son now. That human is <laughs> my son. That human is me. <laughs> he just goes up and sees a human and goes, same, me. It me. Uh, Sarek is, no one is more on their bullshit or central to all of Star Trek than Sarek of Vulcan. Oh, so much. So much. Oh, good this book's a lot we we had to get through the episodes quickly because we knew this was going to be a whole thing we've already talked for 90 minutes uh it's a good book we had a really good time so a lot of modern like looks at star trek are about like oh it's like secretly imperialist or openly imperialist and what they do is like very much damaging the culture as they invest like oh there's the stuff about the root beer and the way frangi are treated yes. and all of that um but I really like this book for giving you like another way of looking at colonialism as the Federation. Like Mm -hmm. they show up with their fucking chlorophyll producing plants, making sure everything's really easy. They're going to put the quadratriticale on the planet and everyone's going to have food for everyone. And what it does is destroys the ecology of planets. Cause they talk about, they're like chlorophyll plants. Like, like I think it's early on. Christine's like chlorophyll plants everywhere. Like now they are, they weren't before like planets had all sorts of weird ways that plants worked and the Federation decided to bulldoze all that and put in like fig trees. Yeah. Uh, It's really good because essentially what like the plot or themes are are, like the Federation's compliance um, or like over-reliance on their technology uh, and their lack of respect for the worlds around them is making them inert uh, and destined to fail one day. Yeah, uh, but it does that without being a dumb metaphor for like, oh, technology makes us weak. Like, it's more about the Federation themselves being stupid and not thinking and just being selfish. Uh, and yeah. it like walks that line really well, rather than being a dumb like, oh, we've forgotten who we are because we made everything too easy. Like, that's the direction you could go with this, but it's much smarter yes. about it than, than that. Uh, and like, it, it divorces it divorces really well the idea that you can be like greedy, destructive, colonialist like consumers from actual capitalism yes because like the federation has the best of intentions we want everyone to be a big happy family but in doing so they turn every planet into earth and that's going to like break apart the galaxy Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's it's a really cool idea and i did not expect to see it from uh this shatner book it is our read on the situation is that he done he's he's brought himself back so he went to reeves and uh reeve stevens and went uh what do you got you got anything for me? <laughs> yeah, sure. I guess we have this thing about the Federation falling apart because of ecology. It's like, well, what about the ladies? Well, we could bring back Teilani. He's like, isn't she old now? It's like, yeah, but she's like a Klingon Vulcan. She lives a long time. Okay, good. <laughs> I need, I need to, I need to like well, have a hot lady, well, young you, lady after me. You can, what about you, the cap, the commander? Yeah. Okay, sure. Well, you can fuck we a can't Borg. Let them fuck though. You can fuck a Borg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is extremely our read on this. Yes because uh, yeah it, we we really want to check out their book federation as well which is another which is just the reef stevens's uh dealing with the federation in a big galaxy time spanning plot um yep. but this is a really thoughtful uh look at that and a critique from that you'd say a different angle than just you guys suck yeah. um also like a couple things i really like about this book one there's like a bit where uh it might be card or is it kirk someone says i didn't realize there's crime on vulcan and is it like is it i think it's spock who runs down like the 
200 there's like 200 instances of crime on Vulcan in the last couple, several hundred years and most of them are from people who just logically decided the thing to do was to do something to advance their political goals through violence like runs down exactly how Vulcan crime happens and it's really good and interesting mm-hmm. and of course they don't tell anybody about this stuff because no, they're, Vulcans. they're fucking Vulcan but they're like actually logically everyone's like logic is shaped by their own desires and influences uh, and of course there would be crime. And like Spock just says that, like, of course, even though Vulcans pretend that it's not, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> Vulcan's ridiculous. Um, also, there's like really good stuff with Kirk just being like over it. Like he comes to Chal ready to retire. He doesn't want anything to do with any of the Starfleet stuff. Christy McDonald's immediately like, you're Captain Kirk. You could teach us everything. And he's like, all I can teach you is that being a Starf- Starfleet captain kind of sucks and ruins your humanity. And it pulls in like lines from uh, Conscious of a King that like Kodo said to him when he met him. Uh, about like, oh, like being a Starfleet captain obsessed with the ship and the mission just makes you like an inhuman person. And it's the stuff that he grappled with in the movies. Like it d- directly ties the words Kodos gave to him to who Kirk was during the movies when like all he wanted was to get back his starship. But in the like through the lens of I need to get my friend back who died. And it's in the book where Kirk comes back to life and all he really wants to do is like get like be with his like fake wife and hang out with Spock. <laughs> yep. Because, um, yeah, there's a whole chapter where he's like, oh, wait, no, I'm tired. Like, this old man who's done a bunch of horrible things, who I saw as this, like, pathetic, terrible figure, um, I, like, I'm feeling, like, maybe I am the Kodos now. Which is a bit dumb, considering, like, Kodos fucking killed thousands of people for no reason. I mean, he killed 4,000 people on the idea that it would save billions in the exact same reason that they've started this time. And Kirk basically agrees with their premise. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's like the writ large version of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, right? Like, if you only have to kill 4,000 people to teach the entire Federation a lesson, those 4,000 people are worth sacrificing. Like, yes, but I'm, like, my point is more that, like, what this book does is try to pull in a bunch of things that, like, don't really, they were never intended to, like, complement each other. Yeah, no, absolutely so, like, not. He's that's what I like into, about like, this, themes of this cartoonish Shakespeare villain fucking evil monologue. Um, yes. While also talking about this, like the failure of the Federation through like critiques of the way in which terraforming is done, like it's pulling all this together in ways that don't actually like work when you think about them, uh, but like from the original sources, but it like holds up as its own thing. Because uh, yes. yeah, I like that chapter where he's like, "Oh, mate, I'm that's I I understand what it's like to be so tired and old that the morality of what you've done is sub- like isn't even the most important thing. Like, did you do things right or wrong? Doesn't matter beyond just the exhaustion of it all like it happened you did it live with it i guess yep uh, and then that conversation at the end where he basically talks to picard is like no the difference between us now isn't uh we're not like ideologically opposed in how we see the federation or anything it's just time i'm just tired i just don't have time to do this dance again they're probably yeah. right it's gonna help us all to admit that um and I like Picard that. cannot Picard cannot respect that as someone who is like just beholden to the Federation's ideals. Like he is the Federation. Like basically, Picard is the Federation's best ideals, right? Yes. And Kirk was never that person. And it makes sense. Like in the Shatner books, you have Kirk and uh, not Kirk. You have Picard as very uh, like stick in the mud. Cannot be presented with any critiques. Cannot like f- like allow that into his worldview. I don't actually mm. necessarily think that agrees with my read on how Picard would react. Well, to I this. mean, Insurrection hasn't come out yet, so yeah. Like Picard has been presented with this very idea. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but like, I understand why Kirk would 
uh like think like that and why shatner would write a book that casts picard in that way uh it's not my personal read but i did fine as reads go i will accept it for this book it's not a problem yeah so yeah that's i guess that's kind of it this is the end of the shatnerverse for now we'll be back with the next trilogy someday but it's gonna be a while yeah but then we'll be back with the next trilogy (laughs) how do you feel about the shatnerverse so far it's pretty good I feel yeah, like it's like you say, oh, William Shannon wrote some Star Trek books about Kirk coming back to life, and they sound way worse than what we get. Because one of them's a fucking about the Romulans and the Borg teaming up to bring Kirk back to life. Like, what? And this one's like a weird mediation, like meditation on ecology. <laughs> oh my god. What a. Re- Kirk beat Worf in Klingon <laughs> combat. Yes, he did. He's a Batleth master, didn't you know? He did not have, like, Super Borg implants to make him strong. He they just no, controlled he just him. That. He just yeah. did that. <laughs> yep, for sure. That William Shatner said he had to do that. But then also Spock threw him into the wall of a holodeck. So you know it all equals out. <laughs> it all equals out. God. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm enjoying the Shatnerverse. I am very very excited to get back to the DS9 stuff. Uh, I mean, we're not going to be. We're not doing immediately. Not immediately but we but. will be doing soon. I'm just excited to be done with school and get back to like filling all my Star Trek uh, like gaps. Yeah, watching Voyager. Hell yeah! Gonna be done with DS9 soon. I'm very excited to be done with DS9 again. I know, I know. So next month, as we said, we are reading Drastic Measures. That's by Dayton Ward, right? I didn't open. Yes, this. you did. Yes, that's right. Uh, we'll be reading that next month. Obviously, our episodes, of course, yesteryear and Data's Day. That's all we've got. This episode's long. Jackson, why don't you give us the plugs? Okay, going to take a running jump, and by which I mean yawn first. There we go. All right, well, you can find us at abnormalmapping.com. We have many other podcasts there, including Abnormal Mapping, which is a game club at thebestgame.club. We play video games, we talk about them, it's a good time. There is the Amory School, which is me and Molly talking about uh, the comics and songs of Cohen and Carambria. It's ridiculous. Uh, come and enjoy the story of the Amory Wars. That is at INeedMayo.com or INeedMayo.com No, don't, <laughs> don't say that. Just Mayo like the man is. M-A-Y-O. Yes, no. Uh, that's that's not even on the podcast. That's just a fucking... God. Listen to that show. It's a whole thing. Fireside Friends is ryan alan and katie's podcast at firesidefriends.net novel not new is a visual novel podcast that you do uh with six and with jen it is a cool podcast that is just on the website at anormapping.com you can find it there or you can find it on itunes as well all the podcasts if that is not enough uh we are a patreon supported podcast network you can find that at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping for one dollar a month you will get the great gundam project which is me and jackson's weekly gundam podcast watching all of gundam the anime, of course. Forever. Uh, two episodes at a time. We are in the middle. Well, not even at the middle yet. But we are in <laughs> Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam right now. It's a very good time. People like our episodes. I think they're good. Uh, at higher tiers, you can be on shows uh, yourself, including this one. You can get exclusive writing, other things. Support our podcast network. Uh, if you would like to uh, just hang out with us, we have a Discord. Uh, I do. The best way to find that is probably just to hit us up on Twitter. You gave your Twitter, Jackson, correct? Uh, no. Incorrect. Okay. You are at you are at head falls off. I am at em underscore being. Just let us know. You can be on the Discord. It'll be great. We talk about Star Trek a lot there. There's a whole channel where all we do is talk about Star Trek. It's a great time. Um, 
And I think that's everything. So we'll be back next month. We'll be talking about Discovery. I'm very excited to go back to my faves on Discovery now that we're in the wait for season two. Hell yeah. Until then, see you out there. In a boat, on a river, with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. Look for the girl. With the sun in her eyes, and she's gone. Follow her bell to a bridge by a people eat marshmallow pies. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore waiting to take you away. Climb in the back with your head in the clouds and you're gone! Picture yourself on a train in a station with plasticine porters, with looking glass ties. Suddenly, someone is there at the turnstile. A girl with kaleidoscope.